I'm going to read John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. You know, it's so great to see your smiling faces this morning, and even the not-so-smiley ones, but the fact to see faces is a wonderful thing this morning, to be able to see that, and I, I am excited about that. I spent the last year of being here trying to get to know people's faces by their eyes, and so now forgive me if I forget your name all over again as I try to relearn everyone's names now that I actually have faces to go along with it. Uh, it is a weird thing now, this, this new stage, but what a joy it was today singing with, with no mask on. Uh, Steve sent out an e-news this past week of just kind of, of sharing w- w- with our church with the, with the change in the, the state mandates, um, that masks are no longer mandated for indoor buildings, that includes churches, um, and so we're aware of that, so feel, feel free and or feel comfortable to wear one if you want to, or not wear one if you don't want to, but if you want to wear one, that's just fine, that's a wonderful thing, we fully recognize that, and uh, there will be many in our community that continue to do so, and that's a beautiful thing, we want to uh, honor that. Um, I'm just so excited about this next season that the churches we're entering into of this space and all that's going on. Um, As people begin to take off their physical masks and we begin to kind of emerge of what's going on and venturing out with more confidence, I mean, so many people have been in isolation for so long. It's not just an issue of masks coming off, but there's really a shifting happening, hopefully, as we move into this endemic phase and uh, of people after almost two years of being in that place of isolation, of really starting to venture out. And as as these anxiety levels that people have been rising within people for a couple years are being addressed, and even right now with the changing of the weather, uh, we've moved back to the Seattle area for the first time for me in 25 years and uh it's an amazing thing that we saw last year when we had all these we we came in the winter didn't even know we had neighbors until about april and we realized we actually do have neighbors we saw people and we had a wonderful time until about october november and then i have neighbors i've not seen in almost like four or five months and i just saw one of them the other day for the first time right we were kind of we're starting to come out of our shells and that's amazing and this is coinciding with kind of the mask coming down and all this other stuff and to me this gets me excited Because there is something that's shifting, I think, physically and spiritually right now, that we have a unique opportunity to be the body of Christ in the city on the hill that God has called us to be as a church, right? And for us to begin to reach out to others. And and for us, in this unique time right now, to to, to come out of that place and to begin to to connect with the people around us. And so I'm stoked, even what we're talking about this morning, as we're looking at Jesus' command to love one another. And I think it's just, it's perfect timing as we're in this, this section of John chapter 15. And so as we enter into this, this is week three of this series called God With Us. And in this series, we're looking at how Jesus encouraged his disciples that they didn't need to be afraid or be troubled as they were coming because he had announced that he was going to die and be betrayed. But it's not something they needed to be afraid of because he not only was coming with his spirit to, or with the, they were not only going to live with them eternally, but he was coming with the spirit to dwell with them there and then and for all of eternity. And so they did not need to be afraid. They did not need to be troubled because he was going to be with them. 
God was going to be with them. That was the whole point that he was saying. And that's chapters 14 through 17. Really, is Jesus on this final walk with his disciples, telling them, encouraging them, you do not need to be afraid because I am with you. And in the midst of this, he gives them uh, this incredible command over and over again, saying, obey my commands, love one another as I have loved you. Right? As they're walking to his death, as they're walking to his betrayal, where he's about to be betrayed by Judas, and it's the last time they're spending time with him, we have these few chapters of chapter 14 to 17 of Jesus explaining to them that I will be with you forever, right? And I'm going to be with you in my fullness, and it's better for me to go and be with you in my spirit than it is for me to be physically present with you like I am right here. And, and so... I feel this is just such a relevant message right now as we're coming out of this place of isolation and moving into this next season. And so let's pick up where we finished last week. Last week we, we saw through the beginning, the first part of John chapter 15 of Jesus calling himself the vine and that we are the branches. And he's telling us that if we want to abide in him, that is the only place where fruit will remain, right? His fruit will be pouring out of us. The life of the vine will come through the branches when we abide in Christ. And so therefore we must abide in him. And he comes from that, and let's pick it up in John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. He says this, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And again, this continues the message of abiding that we spoke about last week. So here Jesus explains that he loves us the same way his Father has loved him. And he tells the disciples again, they must remain or abide in his love. And then he's going to explain how to do it here. And this is interesting. So last week he talked about abiding, and here he's going to explain specifically how he says to do it. He says, if you want to experience my love for you, if you want to abide in that, then you must obey my commandments. And then he goes on to say that this is how he abides in his father, how Jesus remains and abides in his father's love is because he obeys his father's commandments. He's saying it's not just some kind of mystical connection that happens, but I actually remain in his love by obeying his commandments. I listen and obey and do what my father tells me to do. And therefore, we must obey Jesus's commandments. And then before he goes on to explain specifically what this looks like, he takes an aside. He gives a kind of a comment right here in verse 11 that's going to kind of, that kind of sets up everything where he's going. And he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Now he's referring to the vine and the branches and his command to obey his commandments. And he says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants his disciples to know that all this talk of obedience and and abiding, it's not just so that he can be glorified, that they would would just be like obedient slaves to him of some kind. He isn't just interested in slave-like robots running around, but Jesus' longing for his children is that they would experience his joy. We were singing just about that a couple minutes ago. That it wouldn't just be a feeling of joy. It's not just a temporal thing. But Jesus says, my joy would be in you. My joy would be in you. Not that you would feel a sense of happiness or wonder, but that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus fundamentally believes that his disciples should be full of his joy. And this is fascinating here because remember where they are and what they're doing at this point. Jesus is literally walking to his death, right? He's walking to his betrayal. The disciples are just about to scatter in fear and watch him be tortured and crucified on a cross. This will be the worst couple days of their entire lives. 
And what is Jesus emphasizing? My joy is going to be in you. What's even more amazing is that in the Gospel of John, up to this point, Jesus is only, for the first 13 chapters, Jesus has only mentioned joy once in the entire book so far. Or John has only recorded it. But now, with this, it, between John chapter 15 to 17, seven times he's going to speak of joy in this passage. Which is absolutely fascinating because as he's headed to the cross, the darker and darker the times get, the more Jesus speaks of joy. Clearly, joy is not a feeling, it's not temporal, it's not something that, that, that they're just going to experience because of their circumstances. It doesn't just happen. Jesus says joy comes by his Spirit, out of a deep abiding and obedience to him. It is not our joy, but it is his joy in and through us by his Spirit that he gives to us when we experience, when we abide in his presence and we obey his commands. I mean, how many of us truly understand that long-lasting, true joy of the Lord, His joy, not just our own, comes through obedience to Jesus, obeying His commands. That is where true joy comes from. That's not what the world tells us, but that's what Jesus says. In fact, it's similar language back in 14 a couple weeks ago. He said in verse 27, Jesus says, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And we looked at that then. That, that is Him saying, I'm not just giving you a feeling of peace. I'm giving you my peace because I'm the Prince of Peace. And here Jesus again is saying, I'm giving you my joy. You get me by my spirit dwelling in you. When you walk in love and when you obey me, you will experience my joy, not just a feeling of joy. Because God is with us. And I just think that's awesome. All right, so let's get to the crux of Jesus' main point here in this section. So what does it mean to obey Jesus' commands then? Because that's the big emphasis here. Does Jesus actually expect his disciples to truly re recall everything that he said? You know, I mean, Jesus said a lot of stuff. At the end of the book of John, he said, if I could write everything that he did, it wouldn't be enough books in all the libraries to be able to fill this stuff in the world, right? Jesus did so much stuff. How are they supposed to remember everything he said to do? Everything he said about food and sex and money and, and all this other stuff. How are they supposed to obey all of those things? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 12, he says this. This is my commandment. Notice just one he's saying that you love one another as I have loved you. So here is the center of Jesus' point right here. Love each other the way I have loved you. Now, maybe he's referring to kind of the way that he, had, he, he fished with his disciples and loved them, or drank wine with them, or reclined with them at tables and hung out and had fun. And, it, and it, it probably does include that, but let's keep reading. Verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And he says this in John 15. Sorry, I got to clean it real quick. All of a sudden my nose started draining. Thanks, man. So he says that clearly Jesus is referring to his imminent death on the cross. I mean, there's no other way to understand this in this passage. He's talking about a sacrificial love for one another, right? It's not an easy love. It's not a convenient love, but it's one that comes at a cost. And it's something that's not necessarily reciprocated here. So, so yes, it would include things like having meals with others and, and hanging out, but it's far greater reaching than just that. Jesus is speaking about his death on the cross and saying, this is what my love looks like. This is what it means to love one another. And then he goes on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Apparently there's none of the church, so sorry, guys. <sighs> You can silence that other mic. Thank you. All right. 
So, all right, so he says, and, and this is what he says, you know, it is my commandment that you love one another, and that's in 1512. Now look at 1517 now. He says, these things I command you so that you love one another. Does that sound familiar? Let's look at verse, back at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice any familiarity there? Now, this is almost the same thing that he said just a few hours later when he was in the upper room with his disciples in John chapter 13, where he says this in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So clearly Jesus thinks this thing is kind of central to the whole point of what he's saying. And that may feel like kind of a high bar that Jesus sets. It's something that he repeats so many times here. But Jesus wasn't using hyperbole. He's not exaggerating here. He actually expected his disciples to love one another the way that he loved them, sacrificially, like his death on the cross. And he knew it would be impossible on their own. And that's why he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell with them, that God is with them to produce his fruit, to empower them to love each other with the same love with which he loved them, for the life of the vine to come through the branches. This is Jesus' expectation for his disciples. So how could Jesus actually expect his disciples to be able to do this then? I mean, does he really mean this? I mean, he says it a few times in a row in his final speech, but surely Jesus doesn't expect his disciples to actually sacrificially love one another to the same degree that he does through his death on the cross. Would he really think that that's possible for his disciples to do? To love others with that kind of love? Well, let's look to see if he says it anywhere else. Now, these references I'm going to throw up, they're on the website. You don't need to write them all down. If you go to nview.org, click on Sermon Discussion Questions, you'll see these notes are right there. But he says in chapter 14, let's go one chapter earlier. We just want to look at a few verses here. He says in chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Pretty clear. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Verse 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Okay, is this becoming clear here? Verse 10 of chapter 15. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Or verse 14. 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Notice a little bit of repetition there, all just slammed together in this final speech of Jesus to his disciples. I mean, if you were to read this, you would think that he actually meant this, right? That he has some kind of expectation that this is true. Obviously, he says it over and over again. So maybe it's just an unrealistic expectation, just Jesus exaggerating. You know, kind of like he did when he says, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out if you're causing you to lust. He didn't actually mean for them to pull their eye out in that point. Maybe this is just exaggeration and no one really took him seriously. In that case, let's look and see what some of his disciples had to say in this exact same thing. How did they take it? So let's look at what Paul had to say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Verse 2, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, that's basically plagiarism of John chapter 15. I hope Jesus got the royalties on that, right? I mean, it's, it's almost word for word, just, just exactly paraphrasing Jesus. <sighs> Paul was convinced that this is what it meant to be a disciple. 
The disciples are called to actually follow Jesus' example, to love others the way that he's loved us. Paul was convinced that this is what Jesus' understanding was. And Paul says that he explicitly states that he loved us and that he died for us sacrificially. And Paul says he forgave us and therefore we must forgive others because he forgave us. So this is Paul's understanding. Paul truly believed that what Jesus said was meant for everyone, not just related only to the disciples in some way for them only. And so that's Paul, and that's awesome that Paul says that. But what about the Apostle John? Let's look at one of his letters. Now, last year, Pastor Steve, he taught through last summer through the book of 1 John and did an incredible job. But I want to highlight that part again, a couple of those verses here, as John, is ta- as, as John has basically says the exact same thing. So we get to John chapter 2, verse 3, and he says, And we can be sure, sorry, I don't know what's going on. And we can be sure that we know him, Jesus, if we obey his commandments. Oh, thanks, dude. <laughs> perfect timing while I'm preaching, right? Then final week. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Verse 5. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. (sighs) Did you hear those last words there? Those who claim they they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Again, a complete copy of John 15 and of Ephesians 5. Jesus couldn't state this any clearer. John couldn't repeat him any more clearly in this, that disciples should live their lives as Christ did and love others sacrificially. Let's go to John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. He says, And this is Jesus' commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, exact same message as John chapter 15. Are you hearing the repetition here? Hopefully you're not getting bored yet. I'm doing a couple more of these, right? John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Again, same exact point he says again. So did the apostle John take Jesus' word seriously to love one another sacrificially? Absolutely. Jesus' command to love one another became the very centerpiece, in fact, of all of John's life and his message. You know, I actually shared this when I was preaching on this last summer in 1 John. But, uh, and I'm just going to repeat it here again because I'm, I'm sure no one remembers that. That was like two COVID variants ago, right? That was a long time ago. I think that's how we measure time now is COVID variants, right? right? That was the last time they told us we could take our masks off, right? So that's, uh, that was, it was a different time, right? That'll never happen again. Um, but when, back then I talked about that Jerome, the ancient uh, the church father back in the 4th century, he wrote this about the Apostle John and he was describing the Apostle John in the final years of his life. The Apostle John, when he was pushing 100, when he was so weak, he couldn't even walk. The church was under deep persecution. He was the only living apostle that had seen Jesus that was alive for the last last, at least 40 years. The last apostle died in the 60s. John's outlived him by 40 years. He's the only living apostle that had been with Jesus. People that were a persecuted church, they would gather together, and they would literally wheel John in or carry him in, set him down, and they'd get ready for the Apostle John to speak. People would gather around to hear, what is John going to say? And this would be John's message that was recorded. He would say, he would get up. Everyone's huddled around in this persecuted underground church. And he would say, little children, love one another. They'd go, and? And as recorded, he said, that is enough. For that is Jesus' command. They go, but what else? That's it. Little children, love one another. And then he would go. That was his sermon. This was John's singular message to the church. 
a, a church that was being wiped out by the Roman government at the time, Christians being killed as fast as they could, Christians being thrown to the lions, being used as, as candles to light, being burned alive as candles in, 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 in the emperor's home, right? This is nuts. And John's singular message to the church is this, love one another. Why? Because he says that's Jesus' command. Little children love one another. That's it. And I believe 1,900 years later, this is the singular most important message for the church today. That we have to get back to our roots. Not fighting over over whose news channel is the right news channel, or who's more right than the next person, or who's a better infectious disease expert, or who's the better geopolitical expert, or any of these things. We're getting fired up about politics, or fired up about all these ideas. If we want to get fired up about something, we should be getting fired up about Jesus' command to love one another the way he loved us. Because that was the centerpiece of his message. That is the thing the world needs now more than ever before. And this is the most core teaching of Jesus to his disciples. There's nothing he emphasized to this degree. (sighs) What more could he possibly say that would put a greater weight on these words as Jesus is teaching? That this is his final message before he dies, before he sends the disciple, before they scatter away from him. This is the last message they hear from him. What more would it take for Jesus to convince us that this is the central message of the gospel that he has for his people, just as core as salvation by faith, just as core as Jesus being the Son of God, just as core as Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection of the grave, just as core to the gospel as all of those messages is Jesus' message that we must love one another as he loved us. That is central to the gospel message. And as Christians, we often spend a lot of time emphasizing the doctrines of salvation, and that's awesome. Obviously, that's great. But Jesus would say, just as essential as all of the doctrine on our salvation and who God is, is not just how we are saved, but why we are saved and what we do with our salvation. How do we sacrificially love one another? You know, over the years, in many ways, this has been one of Northview's greatest strengths. And I'm genuinely honored that I get to follow after Pastor Steve, who is, this has just been, his lifeblood has been just a life exemplified of pouring out his life for others. But the truth is, this pandemic has taken a massive toll on the body of Christ in this nation. The levels of discouragement of Christians is off the charts right now. And as Christians, even pastors, I think I mentioned before, but there's a recent Barna study that said 40% of pastors who were pastoring before the pandemic hit will be quitting ministry here just within this next season because of the discouragement, the, the, the frustration and the pain, and so much of that's just the division between Christians. And as a church, you know, we here have been climbing, kind of climbing back after some of the major hits we've taken during this pandemic. But it's time to come back now to who God called us to be, to the heart of why we are here, that God has called us to be, that he wants to be glorified in Mill Creek and Everett and Bothell and beyond, and for people to come to know him as we actually live and love like Jesus among our neighbors, among our friends, and among our family, as we actually obey his command to obey him. We have to get back to the centerpiece of this, right? It's not just trying to survive, but how do we live out God's calling upon our lives and our life as a church? This is what Jesus has commanded us to do. And this message of sacrificially loving one another, it was Jesus' final message to his disciples. The most important message he gave them. And so regardless of where we're at on this, we need to hear these words afresh from him. Jesus is telling his disciples again and again and again, don't forget this message. As he's leaving, this is what I leave you with. You must love one another as I have loved you. So what about us? 
Are we actively seeking to align our lives to Jesus, to abide in him and his, see his fruit born through our lives? How many times did Jesus need to say this before we take him seriously and reorder our lives? I mean, what will it take for Christians across the nation for us to take action? You know, it kind of reminds me like a, like a doctor who keeps telling a patient who's unhealthy that they need to, you know, eat better and get more exercise. And the patient's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Someday I'll do those things. And year after year, they don't listen until their health starts failing and they get diabetes and maybe they start losing their eyesight. And you hope at that point they're listening. And maybe they will, but so often they just get more medicine and they just kind of see the declining health as an inevitability. Maybe they try a couple fad diets every once in a while, but so many just refuse to change. And I feel in so many ways that kind of describes the church. For so many Christians today, I feel we tune out so many of Jesus' words, myself included. And while definitely there's pockets of growth and, and, and things are going well in some place, across this nation, the church is losing ground. If you look at the statistics, it's really scary to see what's happening to the church nationwide. And we keep, it's like we keep trying different fad diets, right? We'll try, maybe we try changing up the light, changing up the music, changing up the style, get the pastor to wear skinny jeans and maybe some Yeezys, right? <laughs> if I ever wear skinny jeans and Yeezys, please, please, please just pull me off the stage. You can, that's recorded. You can tell that, all right? But we need to get back to our roots as a church, back to those things that what's healthy, and that means to the root of obeying Jesus' command to sacrificially love one another. That is old school Christianity going back to Jesus, right? We need to get back to the roots that that is what he's called to do. And it's fascinating, though, because, I mean, if you talk to Christians and you say, you know, believe in me and have eternal life, we believe Jesus easily on that. We'll trust him on that. If you say, we don't struggle to believe in all when he says that he's going to bless us and he's going to love us and he's going he's to give us eternal life and he'll forgive us of our sins. All this stuff about assurance of salvation, it's easy for us to hold on to and, and we'll hold on to that and we'll sing worship songs about it and we'll thank God for it. But when he talks about loving him or loving others the way he loved us, all of a sudden it seems we, we hear those words a little differently. We don't just grab a hold of them the same way, but we struggle to believe, well, he doesn't actually mean that. You know, Dallas Willard, he has this incredible quote about this, and he says, the gospel is not just if you die tonight, where are you going to go? But if you don't die tonight, what are you going to do tomorrow? How will you live? Right? Read that again. It's not just what are you going to do tonight if you die, where will you go tonight if you die? But if you don't die, how are we going to live? This is what the gospel is about. It's not just where we go when we die, but how do we live as Christians, right? As Christians, we can get so focused sometimes on being saved. And again, that's awesome. But we forget why he saved us, what he saved us to do. And yes, he saved us so he could dwell with us both now and for eternity. But he saved us so that his beauty would shine through us, that others would come to know him because of how well we live in love like him. By how well we sacrificially love those around us. And we trust what Jesus says regarding eternal security and salvation, but sometimes we gloss over those other aspects of what he's asked us to do, what he's commanded us to do, to love the way he loves. And why does John repeat this so much? Over and over again. And Paul repeats it, and Peter repeats it in his letters, and, and the author of Hebrews, whoever that is, repeats it in his letters, and James repeats it, and even Jude repeats it. Did you know that James had a brother named Jude who wrote a book? That's actually pretty good. But they, they actually believe, all of these guys together actually believe that we are supposed to live in love like Jesus. Love sacrificially. We're supposed to obey his commands and not just believe what Jesus says, but to actually do it. Jesus was adamant that we not only believe it, but that we follow through. 
He doesn't want us to follow him on Facebook or follow him on Instagram, right? He's not asking for us to hit the like button next to John 12 when he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you, right? It's not just a matter of saying, ooh, that makes me feel good. His calling to his disciples is that we actually do it. Jesus says this explicitly in John chapter 8 and verse 31. He says it like this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Now notice what he describes there. He's speaking to those who already believe in him. This is not non-Christians. This is believers. And he says, the way you know if you're a true believer, not just a person that follows me on Instagram, not just a person that subscribes to my podcast and maybe and follows my Instagram account or something else like that. If you're my true believer, it's because you actually do the things that I tell you to do. Or hear his pained words in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. He says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Notice the pain there. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? He's emphasizing these are people earnestly seeking after Jesus, earnestly wanting to know what he has to say. And he's like, why would you be so interested in me and not actually do what I told you to do? Because what I've told you to do is love sacrificially the way I've called you to love. There are so many Christians who call themselves followers of Christ, myself included, who yet so infrequently it seems, seems to follow him. Right? They're more impressed with his ideas than they are with actually being his true disciples. You know, it kind of reminds me, imagine if someone came up to me and they said, James, I am a massive follower of Dave Ramsey. I'm his greatest disciple. Right? And, say, and, and, and I go, wow, that's pretty cool. If those don't, Dave Ramsey is like a financial guru who's famous for getting people out of debt and not allowing credit cards, right? And so they go on, and, and I, so I asked them, I said, so, so tell me, I mean, what does that look like? And they said, well, man, I've, I've, I've done his course, Financial Peace University. In fact, I've done it five times, and I've led hundreds of groups through it. I love so much what it is. I am his greatest disciple. I've done every, I, I've listened to all his teachings. In fact, look, I got this book that he signed for me, and I carry it with me everywhere I go. And I say, that's awesome that you've listened to his stuff. But I say, what kind of financial peace do you have from that, what all that you've done? And they go, well, I mean, I, I'm a little bit too much in debt right now to make it possible to actually obey the teachings. And I say, well, well, what else? And they go, well, and the big problem is we just bought two brand new cars because it was 0% financing last week. And, and so that, that, that's also a problem. And I got these two new credit cards I signed up to pay off my other credit cards. And so soon we're going to be able to start doing this. I mean, if someone came to me, that would be insane. It'd be ridiculous. I'd say, wait, you say you're a follower of Dave Rams, but you're literally doing the opposite of everything he said. So how could you call yourself a follower of Dave Ramsey if you don't actually do anything that Dave Ramsey says. You're, you're not a disciple of Dave Ramsey. You're not a follower of Dave Ramsey. You just like the stuff he says. You maybe like being around him, but you don't actually do anything he said. So don't call yourself a follower of Dave Ramsey. We love to listen to so many of Jesus' messages, but so often we don't actually love to live them out. We have a tendency to tune out Jesus pretty frequently instead of actually living and loving like him. But Jesus could not be more clear. Again and again, he says this message, love one another as I have loved you. But the cool thing is we don't have to do this on our own. Jesus is with us. And that's the whole point of this series. We're in. The whole point of the section is that Jesus says that I am now with you. You are not alone. You don't have to figure this out on your own because I am with you. My spirit will empower you to love like me. It's not just pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And he says, if we do it, we're going to experience his peace that comes from him and his joy. 
And so why do we struggle so much to trust him then? To forgive those who've hurt us. To pursue those who are different than us. To seek out those we want nothing to do with. To seek out the poor and the broken around us. To give financially, even if it hurts to those who are struggling. Why do we struggle to trust what Jesus said in these areas? Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that none of us are doing this. I could spend hours telling story after story of all the incredible things that are being done by people in this community. But I feel this that we must be reminded of, and it's because it's easy to trust Jesus when it comes to forgiveness and sin. It gets much harder to actually sacrificially love the people around us. But again, Jesus is not making suggestions here. He's making commands. John repeats it. Peter repeats it. Paul repeats it. Even Jude says it. So then what does this actually look like for us today then? Let's get some application. When we are abiding in Christ, the fruit should look like Jesus. That's what we talked about last week, right? The more we abide in Christ, the more our lives should look like him. And we should be sacrificially loving others. The greatest kind of love is not romantic. It's not erotic. It's sacrificial. The example of Jesus' love for us. And he calls us his friends. And he says that he lays down his life for us. And he says this is what life, life, love should look like for us. And we can't get away from this. If we want to take Scripture seriously and actually be obedient, true believers, we can't avoid this reality that we are called to sacrificially love one another. Is that going to be easy? No. If it was, it wouldn't be called sacrificing, right? The idea of sacrificing means we're giving up something. It means it hurts. It means it costs something. We give up something of value when we sacrifice. Sacrificing comes with a cost. It often makes our heart beat fast when we consider what we're about to do because we're scared of what what might happen. It often makes our palms sweat or we get that lump in our throat. Similarly, Jesus has the other language where he says, take up your cross and follow me, right? He's saying, he's comparing loving other people to the death on the cross. That is not an easy language that he's called us to. Putting other people first can hurt. Let me just say, as we're talking about this, I'm not talking about abusive situations here. Right? Sometimes this can get really abused when people are being abused by a spouse or an ex or a family member or, an, or, or some other friend. And the, Jesus isn't just calling to go back and love more in abusive situations. If you're in an abusive situation, get help and get out. Right? This is not saying just try and love those people more. Now this may seem, again, impossible for us to love like Jesus. But again, the point is we're not alone in this. His Spirit is with us, empowering us to love like Him. So let's get practical. What does this actually look like for us? Well, is there anyone in or near your life that when you think of them, you want nothing to do with them? Is there a person when you think of them, it's just that tightness in the chest of I want nothing to do with this person? Again, I'm not speaking of abusive situations. Is there any place where an offense has been taken between you or other relationships around you where that have been unrepaired, where you've just allowed that pain and that frustration to fester? Is there any a place where Maybe you're sitting there waiting, like, when they apologize, then I will talk to them again, or then I can forgive them, but they must approach me first. Jesus is asking something radical here. He's saying we must love sacrificially the way he loved us, and that he's going to empower us to do it, because remember, Jesus died on the cross for an unrepentant people who didn't want it or ask for it. In fact, they were nailing him to the cross while he was dying for them, gleefully excited that they were killing him at the time. And Jesus says, that is what my love looks like. Dying for those who didn't even want my sacrifice. Now go and love like I've loved. What about marriage? What does it look like in our marriages for us to, ab- 
you know, have this abiding fruit within our marriage, of seeing Jesus moving through us in our marriages. I mean, any couples who ever struggled in their marriage or struggled to love their spouses. You know, inside my ring, I have engraved Ephesians 5.25, which says this. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. Now, so many times I've had to remember that. And I failed far more times than I've succeeded about remembering that. Because I have to be not just willing to die for her. In fact, it's pretty easy to be willing to die for a spouse. That just takes a moment of courage or bravery. Even a gutless wonder can do that sometimes. But what's really difficult is to daily choose to die for my spouse. To give up my life and to choose to, you know, every day for my, my wife to say, Sarah, I want to live for you. I want to lay down my preferences and choose for you. And that's a million times more difficult than actually dying for her. To love her sacrificially the way that Christ has called us to. And if you're in a marriage where there's pain at the moment and you're struggling together, listen to Jesus' words here. He's not making suggestions. He's not making, you know, you should try this out. He's commanding us, love one another the way I have loved you. We must sacrificially love one another. It's not easy, but as Jesus followers, we must follow him in this. Or what about family or friendships? Have you had a fight with family members or friends in this last season? Maybe there's unresolved. People you can't even be in the same room with. It could be adult children. It could be parents. It could be friends. Whatever it is. Again, not referring to abusive relationships. But are we having any relationships that are out of sorts because of the way that we, we have lacked loving them? And you may say, you know, I've tried and I've failed. And probably, especially if we're doing it apart from the vine, not abiding in him, it will fail. But we need to try again, and this time abiding in the vine, asking the Holy Spirit to show us how do we extend his love to the other, to our spouse, to our friend, to our parent, to a child, whatever it may be. We can't give up on this. Jesus says, you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. There is no room on, for error. There's no room for margin on this. We have to keep going. We can't give up on this. We have to abide in him and let him change our heart. You know, previously, I spent a lot of time working with violent gangsters and prostitutes as part of the ministry and the work I did before and hope to again here in this area. But some of those broken people of society. And, and one of the couples I spent a couple years working with was a couple that she had been trapped in a life of prostitution for years. He had been trapped in a life of gangsterism through violence and, and all sorts of other things. And one day I went to visit them. I'd been with them for a couple years, and they'd taken many steps towards Jesus. And, and I went to visit them, and he, again, had some major violence issues. And just before I had showed up, I heard the screams and the terror as I walked in, uh, and I saw that he had thrown a brick at her head and tried to kill her. It was a horrific circumstance with her laying there bleeding out. And uh, we got her to the hospital. He was angry, eventually in tears. I mean, I was in so much pain. I'd spent hours ministering to them and loving on them, and I just saw the anger and the hatred in his eyes. And we're just telling the Lord, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to work with this guy ever again. Like just every time I used to try and pray for him, I just saw the stupid bloody brick and I just like, I can't do this. And I saw her in the agony. I'm like, Lord, I'm done. I can't go back. And as the weeks went on, I just felt the Lord kept saying, love him like I love you. Love him the way I laid my, down, my life down for you. Like I can't do it. And eventually I had to say, okay, Holy Spirit, you have to do this for me because I can't do it. I don't want nothing. All I see is rage when I'm near the guy. And so I just began praying, saying, Lord, change my heart towards this guy. Show me how can I love him the way that you have loved me. And so I just started praying and praying and letting the Lord change my heart. And you know, it was really hard. In fact, there'd be many times where I'd be sitting at home and, and, and I knew I was supposed to go visit him and Sarah would actually just see me delaying. And she's like, aren't you supposed to be getting in the car and going? And I'm like, eventually I'll go. And she's like, no, you're supposed to go. Get up, get out the door. Here's your keys, get out the car, go to him. So I just didn't want to do it. 
It was in my heart. I couldn't find love for him. I couldn't do it. But then the Lord began to change my heart as I stepped out, and we began to have wonderful conversations. And the Lord began to continue to move in his life. And the the Lord worked in my heart to help me to show what it means to love him the way that the Lord had loved us. Now, that may be more of an extreme example, but just a more simple one that one just happened more recently. It was we had a neighbor who had this uh, extremely mean dog. I mean, it was this vicious attack dog. And I mean, the worst I've ever seen in my life as far as just you know, like ripping anyone's head off. And my neighbor was meaner than him. Um, and uh, this, this guy wasn't kind, right? He scared me far more than the dog did. Big dude who was just angry all the time. And one day I was drilling and putting up a bracket on the fence that separated our houses. And he came just out screaming at me. I mean, just barreling towards me, terrified me. And just saying, this is my fence. I paid for this before you moved in here. This is my fence. You're gonna have to rebuy the whole thing. Look at this hole you put. I'm like, it's literally a tiny hole from a screw. Just freaking out on me, just getting right in my face. And I was terrified. I wanted nothing to do with this guy. Clearly this guy had issues. I remember walking away from that, just one, just avoiding him like nothing. I mean, I wouldn't go anywhere near him, wouldn't talk about him. I was terrified to be outside near that wall of the house. I wanted nothing to do with this guy. He scared me so much. And then again, the Lord began hitting me as I began praying. The Lord said, you need to go talk to him. I'm like, I can't do that. He won't even see me. Like, he's just going to scream and beat me up. And the Lord kind of gave, the, Lord, the Spirit really just gave me a direction of something to do to be able to serve him in a way that maybe, and the guy totally responded to what I did. And then we ended up forming this great friendship. In fact, he ended up becoming a friend. We were able to witness to him. In fact, when we moved, this guy actually gave us moving supplies and helped us move and everything else, right? But that was me having to be able to say, okay, Spirit, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my own strength. I need you to make this possible. Jesus does not make this optional for his disciples. If we are to be children of God and his followers, it's not an optional part of Christianity to love others this way. It is not optional to carry deep bitterness and rage towards other people as Christians. It's not an option for us. You know, with what's going on right now with the, with the coming off of masks and, and hopefully moving this thing towards an endemic across our nation, so often it seems that we as Christians are actually not the best examples of this of how to love one another across our nation. All polling that I've seen the last couple years shows that the view of Christians in the world, which was already in the toilet prior to COVID, has reached levels never seen before, right? Christians are now often known for spending more time struggling to to, to fight for their rights and their ideological views than we are struggling to sacrificially love one another and our neighbors who see the world differently than ourselves. But with this next stage of this endemic, hopefully becoming, coming to an end, I mean, it's our job now to step out and to truly love one another. And may each of us take Jesus at his word and believe him when he says that this is his command to us. Not a suggestion, but a command. And I'm looking so much so forward to what God has for us next in this next season. But before we move forward into this next season, I feel we also first must take a moment and look back and see where we need to repent. Where have we failed to sacrificially love others the way Christ has called us to? And so take this seriously. Before we just say, yes, I'll do better, where do we need to repent? Maybe within our family, are there any burned bridges that we've had in this last season where we've said things and we've forced our opinions upon others? Have we burned any bridges on social media with Instagram posts or Facebook posts where we, again, forced our idea and denigrated the views of others? Where have we done this with friendships that maybe we've walked away from? Where do we need to repent? Who do we need to repent to that we have not loved in this way? Maybe we need to repent to our Facebook and Instagram friends because of those unloving posts. 
because people view things differently than us or, or they watch different news channels than us. Or maybe you need to repent to your uncle, maybe, or someone else in your family that you said things to that were unloving and unkind, you didn't represent him. Maybe it's to a relative who wouldn't let you come over because you weren't vaccinated. Or maybe it's a relative who wouldn't let you come over because you were vaccinated. Whatever the issue is, where do we need to repent that we have failed to love the way Christ has called us to love? And then once we understand that, then actually obey Jesus and go repent. We as Christians must take, some reason repentance has the idea of like a four-letter word for Christianity. It's like a swear word. It's like this dirty thing sometimes. We got to get rid of that. Repentance must just be part of life. When we step out of God's best will for us, we just repent. It must be a regular thing. I'm repenting almost daily. I'm just repenting to my son last night again for some of the stuff I did with him. Repentance must be a regular thing that we do as the body of Christ. And when we repent, we don't wait for them to repent first. We don't repent and then give an awkward long pause waiting for them to reciprocate. We just repent and we own our part because Christ has called us to love like him. And then continue to petition the Holy Spirit to help us to love the way he's called us to love. You know, as so many people are taking off their masks and moving into this next season, I also just want to address, there's been many people who don't take them off. And may we as Christians, may we be so incredibly gracious and incredibly loving. May we never judge whether someone is or isn't wearing one. If, I mean, I'm going to always keep a mask with me just for the sake of when I do meet with those who are wearing one, that I can be able to honor them and love them. When we go to businesses that are still requiring masks, we don't have to get up in a huff of anything that's going on, but I'm just going to happily put my mask on because I'm going to love them in the way that they need to receive love at that point and honor them because Christ has called me to not fight for my rights, but fight to lay them down to sacrificially love one another. Do not let this be a dividing issue. With every stage of the pandemic, it seems a new level division comes in, and it's ripe for it right now, and we cannot, cannot let Satan let that happen. We must actively, sacrificially love one another. And lastly, may we also sacrificially love one another here in this room, in this body. We have a sweet opportunity. We're coming together for a meal today, and that's awesome. But going forward, you know, we talked about in this last year when the mask came out the last time, but there's so many new people that are in this community right now. There's so many people that are coming back, even after two years of being away. And there's so many people that are coming, they're recently moved, they aren't well known in the community, people that are hurting, they're isolated, they're alone, and for us just to get up and walk out the door without recognizing or acknowledging the people in our midst is not the most loving thing to do. Christ has called us to love one another, and so I beg of each of us, as we get up from our seats at the end of a service, don't just immediately go to your best friend, don't just run out the door, but ask the Holy Spirit to show you, how can I love the people right next to me? How can I hear how they're doing? How can I pray for them and care for the people that are sitting right next to me? Amen? Christ has called us. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. We must love one another the way Christ has called us to love. Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I, I feel completely broken and unable to, to, to communicate your message, Lord. Your, the central message of your heart, I know our words are not enough, so Holy Spirit, I pray that may you move and speak your words across. I recognize I am just distracted, just being honest, even just what the heck's going on with my nose right now, Lord. And I don't know, Holy Spirit, what you're doing. But I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, may you take whatever the word salad is that I just shared for the last 40 minutes. And Holy Spirit, may you move in our hearts right here and right now. Holy Spirit, may you move in our lives, with whatever we're at, wherever the pain is, or the pain that we have caused. Holy Spirit, right now, may you speak to us. And Jesus, may you enable us to, to more fully engage with your heart 
that we love one another the way you've loved us. Even if we've been doing okay, Jesus, may you move us deeper into wanting to obey you and to see your name glorified in Bothell and Mill Creek and Everett and beyond, Jesus. May you show us where we need to repent. May you show us where we need to change and realign our hearts to yours, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in and through our lives right now. Thank you.